North Carolina A&T is starting to develop a bit of a trend when it comes to hiring coaches. And should the criteria make you optimistic? Oh, yeah. It's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives right there you see it at the bottom of the screen but if you don't that means you're on the audio side of things and i appreciate you just don't forget the s on the end of south exclusives in southern like many other teams around the country have a quarterback battle going on during the spring but what if the answer to the question the player who should be starting day one, game one, is actually not in camp yet. Is a freshman the answer to Southern's quarterback battle? North Carolina A&T, they've established a clear trend when it comes to hiring coaches as of recent. But should their criteria make you optimistic? Let's break down the trend before I answer that final question. See, it's a clear trend if this goes through. It's still reported. It's not official. It hasn't been signed in ink. But if the name that's connected to the men's basketball coaching position is the actual answer for North Carolina ANC, then they by far have a clear cut trend on what they want in a head coach. And I believe it. According to a college basketball insider, CBS reporter, North Carolina A&T is set to hire Monte Ross as their new men's basketball head coach. This is the second time in three months that they're going to be hiring a new head coach in a major sport. First football, now men's basketball. It's impossible for me not to think back to Vincent Brown and not just because of how close they've been hired, but because of how close the criteria is to why they're being hired, or at least in my mind, that's how I view it. Let's look at what A.D. Hilton had to say about hiring Vincent Brown. Coach Brown has a significant familiarity and understanding of what it takes to win in the Colonial. He has an extensive and proud history with HBCUs. Now, I wonder who else fits that mold. Monte Ross was a player at Winston-Salem back in the day. He was a coach at Delaware not that long ago. So he played in an HBCU. He coached in the CAA. That sounds a whole lot like Vincent Brown, doesn't it? He could almost copy and paste that exact quote. Coach Ross has a significant familiarity and understanding of what it takes to win in the Colonial. He has an extensive and proud history with HBCUs. It would work the exact same and be exactly accurate. It'd be the one time when you could copy somebody's quiz. You know, I say, hey, man, copy all my answers, but change it up a little bit. You don't have to change anything. The template is there. It's exactly what you can say. And nobody would be any other wiser other than you and I, of course. We know what it is. But outside of us, 
Nobody's going to pay attention to that one little or those two little sentences right there. But that exactly is the criteria that North Carolina A&C is setting. They want coaches who are in. I only took this quote, but it was part of why he was hired. Like that was a part of the criteria for Vincent Brown. Nothing has been proven that that would be the criteria for Monte Ross. However, it's kind of hard for me to believe it's not. It's kind of hard for him to believe it's just a, a coincidence that those two things are the same. Call me skeptical on it. I'm not criticizing the criteria, but the criteria is the criteria and the trend is the trend. It only takes two for me to call it a trend. Now, what really has me excited is Delaware, his experience in Delaware. Okay, I kind of want to stay away from saying the E word. Let me not say excited because... Not that I don't actually like what he did at Delaware, but let's wait until it's official to say excited. So I won't even tell you what should get you excited. But what should interest you, what should interest you about his time at Delaware is just how successful he was. As a head coach, that's something that Vincent Brown doesn't have. This isn't a comparison, but when we're talking about criteria and them checking the same boxes, of course there's going to be some references back. And if you want to just, that'll be the next one. No, I'll say it right now. Forget it. We're talking about both. If you really want to stretch it, if you really want to stretch it, not only does he have head coaching experience in the CAA, he also has actual playing experience in the state. Those are two advantages to a slight degree. If you want to just put the two against each other and see how they compare and see where they mesh, that's something that I feel like Coach Ross would have on Brown. Right? Oh, uh, so let's, let's get into this. What he did at Delaware. He was the head coach at Delaware from 2006 to 2016. So 10 years, he was able to be there, a decade. So you don't get to be there for a decade without having some margin of success. They're not going to let you be a middle-of-the-pack squad for a decade with no kind of flare-ups of really good, right? So from 2006 to 2016, he had 132 victories, which is the second most in program history. Backs up the amount of time that he was coaching there. In 23, or excuse me, in 23, in 2013 slash 14, they went 25 and 10, won a CAA championship, and went to the NCAA tournament for the first time since the 90s. So that's a little bit of restoration, a little bit of revitalization that we talked about when it came to Howard. You see that same type of process when it comes to Coach Ross in Delaware. That was the first year that they made it in a long time. And of course, he was able to win Coach of the Year in the CAA. Then in the, uh, in the district, the National Association of Basketball Coaches voted him Coach of the Year in District 10. And that was like the big year. That was the culmination of everything they had worked on. They finally achieved it. They got to the precipice. And that was the peak for what he was able to do. But I'll tell you right now, I think North Carolina a is taking that peak. I think anybody is taking that peak. In 2011-2012, he had them the first winning season in eight seasons, and then he also got them to the playoffs for the first time in forever. Restoration and revitalization. I'm not putting North Carolina A&T in that category, but anytime a coach can do that, it's really impressive. We've seen coaches win when you have somebody else's squad. We've seen that, and we always knock those coaches Every single time somebody wins something like their first year, maybe second year, and then they don't do too much after, oh, he just won with the other coaches, guys. That's not Ross. The two successful seasons, 2011-12, 2013-14, they are all five years or more 
after he took over the reins in 2006, which means his this was all his recruiting class. These are teams that he was able to build. So I love that because it tells me he knows how to develop a winner. Forget inheriting a winner because you're going to have to develop these guys. North Carolina A&T was the seventh seed in the CAA tournament. They shouldn't go in being the number one, two, three team in the preseason polls next year. You're going to have to develop them. And it might take more than a season. It might take more than two seasons. But because I've seen Ross do it, Coach Ross do it on, I'm not friends with the guy, and I know Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, shout out my guy. But no, because Coach Ross has shown the ability at Delaware over the span of five to eight years to develop a program, to develop a winner, to develop a champion, I'm okay if it takes time. I love that, and that's probably the thing I'm most happy about when it comes to the interest, the thing I'm most interested about here, I go throwing emotion words out there again. But it's hard when you see a resume like this. I, you know, I'm going to say it. You should be excited. You should want this. If you don't want to, you know, you want to hedge your bets, don't be excited, don't get happy. You should want Coach Monte Ross to be the North Carolina A&T men's basketball coach because he has a resume of success in the conference that you are trying to succeed in. I will take that 10 times out of 10. And going forward, we're going to look into the criteria, the HBCU experience. Let's pretty much put it like this. What is the criteria for North Carolina A&T that we're going to dive into? Is coach fill in the blank has a significant familiarity and understanding of what it takes to win in a colonial. He has an extensive and proud history with HBCUs. That is the criteria. That is the trend. And let's see if that should make you optimistic as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. March Madness is over. Let my girlfriend tell it, March Madness should have ended when March was over. But hey, that's not how things work. <laughs> so March Madness is officially over, and you can turn every single bit of your attention to the NBA. There's only a handful of games left in the regular season, so you can bet on everybody. But once that 82nd game is played, then you can turn your focus to the play-in and the playoffs. Who's going to be in the play-in in the West? It could be so many teams. Can the Mavericks, Kyrie, and Luka Doncic get it all together? Can my Pelicans get it together in time for Zion Williamson? If Zion comes back, we are winning a playoff series, and you can go to FanDuel to bet on it. But if I'm wrong, that's okay, because we have the first bet, no sweat. And you get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't go through. It's just that simple. But you should take my word for it because I think I know what I'm talking about and you won't even need the free bets. But either way, the only way for you to find out is to go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and make every moment more. As we continue rolling with today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. We just set the criteria. Need I remind you the quote that was handed down by A.D. Hilton? I will. Coach Brown, excuse me, Coach fill in the blank because it seems to be a trend. So it's just about who's being hired at the moment. Brown, Ross, Gray, doesn't matter. Coach fill in the blank has a significant familiarity and understanding of what it takes to win in the Colonial. He has an extensive and proud history with HBCUs. Basically, coaching experience in the CAA and some sort of tie-in to HBCUs. For Brown and Ross, 
it had both been calling these guys Browns and Ross, Brown and Ross like I know them is kind of maybe it's because I know it Ross but Coach Brown and Coach Ross for them it's playing they played at HBCUs but they could be for anything you could be a coach at an HBCU and that should be able to suffice but do these criteria that have been placed in front of you tie in with HBCUs and then also coaching in the CAA, should they inspire confidence? Should they inspire optimism in you? And when I look at optimism, I'm talking about from a fan perspective, and that's confidence that success is on the way. Whether that's imminent, you want it to be imminent, or if it's a little bit down the line, do you have trust by this criteria that success is on the way? I'll start off with HBCU ties. There is no reason that HBCU ties should give you any confidence. I'm okay with them being a part of the criteria. I have no problem with the criteria. But I don't think it actually suggests any sort of success is on the way. What I believe is that HBCU ties give the people who are hiring a sense of comfort. See, what they do for me, and, and I know maybe I'm being a victim of recency bias. But when I look at the Ed Reed, Bethune-Cookman, then hiring coach, Coach Woody, it's like, I can't help but think this is kind of similar a lot of places, but we know the financial burdens of many HBCUs. We know what a lot of them have to go through, the obstacles that are being faced. I know them. I host Locked on HBCU. You know them. You're an HBCU fan, likely an HBCU alumni. We have ties. We have ties. If any of us were to be hired, we would be able to say we have familiarity with HBCUs. And I think that it's not about accepting less. It's about understanding the situation that you're about to walk into. And some people don't. And it's not that everybody's going to go on a rant. It's not that I'm expecting everybody to just curse out uh, higher ups or anybody of that nature. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Let's not use the Ed Reed situation as just a cookie cutter. This is what happens when you hire people who don't understand HBCUs. There have been so many people who dipped their toe into the HBCU realm coaching for the first time and had an understanding or developed an understanding of what it meant to be at an HBCU. So let's not do that. I'm not doing it. And I don't suggest that you do that. But what I will say is that I think coming in with an understanding it gives the people who are hiring an ease of mind. I feel like it allows them to just sit back and be like, all right, they know exactly what they're coming into. I'm cool with that. But that doesn't suggest anything about winning. I love comfort, but it doesn't suggest that victories are on the way. Does understanding your obstacles allow you to maneuver and maybe plan your maneuvering? Yeah. You might not trip up on the first hurdle like some other people might. I will give you that but I don't think it makes you a better coach. I don't think knowing what you're getting into is all of a sudden going to make you a better coach. I don't think knowing what you're getting into is all of a sudden going to make those obstacles that you're facing a little shorter. You'll know how to maneuver. You might be able to expect it, but unless you've actually done it before, even then it's not going to make you better. It's just going to let you maneuver through that obstacle. All right. Now the CAA, that should give you a lot of confidence. Knowing how to win in the CAA should give you confidence because knowing how to win should give you confidence. And now if you're taking just simply knowing how to put together wins and losses, how to build a successful unit or a successful team, because it's important to remember not all coaches are former head coaches. Excuse me. Not all coaches are former head coaches. Some of them are elevated from offense and defense and special team coordinators. 
So you got to watch out for that too. It's not just about building wins and losses. It's about building a team or building a side of the ball. So knowing how to do that, all of a sudden, or excuse me, immediately, check. Love that. But doing it in the place that you're about to, that's a whole nother conversation. That gives you an extra level of confidence that you're going to be able to do it. For example, if you take a coach who has been winning in the SWAC and you drop him in the MEAC, well, you're happy that he knows how to win. But the style of play could be different. There's a little bit more variables. Now, you trust him because he knows how to win. But if you drop somebody who had been successful in the MEAC, you feel like, all right, you check the box of knowing how to win, build a successful team. But then you also understand how we play ball here. You know specifically how to win here. Not all conferences are the same. So you need to build your team to knock off your conference champion. You need to build your team to win your conference. If you have a revolving door of champions, it's just win your conference. If you have somebody who has consistently been on the top, then it's about knocking off that king of the throne. For example, you take a swag school. And they're just, let's just say a swag school sitting there at home like, man, we were perfectly set up to knock off Central. We would have won that celebration bowl. That's okay. You're not building your team to knock off the king of the MEAC. You need to build your team to knock off the king of the SWAC. And then, once you're doing that, then you should be able to build your team to knock off a MEAC squad. For example, Jackson State has been built to knock off the SWAC. Of course, they have some rebuilding and things of that nature, but Jackson State has been built to win the SWAC. They haven't been able to beat the MEAC. Now that they know what it takes to win their conference, then you can get on some additive. Now you can go in and you can say, all right, this is what we need to win our conference, but this is the reason that we're losing when we're facing off the MEAC, facing off against the MEAC in the Celebration Bowl. A team like FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, they might not have that problem. They probably understand both sides of it. But when you look at North Carolina a and Focus on winning the CAA first. And Coach Monte Ross gives you that. If you had to do a comparison, Vincent Brown, if that gives you excitement, and it gave me excitement, I said it was the perfect fit, especially based off the criteria. If Vincent Brown gives you a level of excitement, then I think your excitement for Monte Ross should be through the roof. I have no personal feelings about either one of these guys. So it's not like I'm looking at how they coach, but I'm looking at the criteria that you're setting. Familiarity with HBCUs, and then I'm also looking at the ability to win in the CAA, the Colonial. Well, Vincent Brown was just a coordinator. He wasn't a head coach. Monte Ross was a head coach, a coach of the year, and also the coach of a CAA regular season and tournament champion. The success level is there. It's proven. It's not even a question. I know he knows how to win there. And if you want to talk about the ties to HBCUs, he's in North Carolina. So his ties to the state of North Carolina could boost recruiting if you just want to take it to that level. So if you're excited about, about Vontae, Vontae, I'm combining t names. If you're excited about Vincent Brown, which I am, and I think you should be, and it seems like Aggie Nation is, your excitement should be through the roof when it comes to Monte Ross because he checks the boxes that he checks, but Ross checks them on a much, much bigger scale. The check is like two, right? I love it. So do the trends create optimism? Half of them do. One creates comfort, one creates optimism. I like both. So I'm perfectly fine with the criteria. You need to know how to win in a colonial and you need to be familiar with HBCUs. I'd be very interested if Monte Ross is the hire, if they hire again, 
Is this the same criteria for all sports now that they're switching conferences? But one team that isn't switching conferences is Southern. Southern is going to be in the SWAC no matter what. And they have a quarterback battle, but there's some questions about it. Could a freshman actually be the answer in this equation? As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day and then making it all the way to segment three. Thank you two times for that. I do appreciate it. Now, I have a question, and this specifically goes out to my Southern family. Not just the South, but you know, Southern University. Could a freshman actually start at quarterback week one for the Southern Jaguars? There's two questions that go along with that. Well, really one question and then that same question rephrased. And neither one is who's going to be the starting quarterback. We have a very specific focus in the quarterback battle, so I won't ask it that way. The first question is, can Eric Dooley be trusted to make the right choice at quarterback? The second question is, would he start a freshman? You could combine it into one question and say, can you trust Eric Dooley to make the right decision at quarterback, even if that right decision is a freshman? I don't know. But I'd rather separate that into two questions. Now, can you trust him? The reason that's even a question, and I'm asking you, I don't have the answer, Sway, but I'm asking you, can you trust Eric Dooley? The reason that's a question is because there's many people who feel like Glendon McDaniel should have been the quarterback for the season last year, for at least the majority of the season. They feel like that was already shown and proved. They said, but Sean McCray wasn't the answer. It was, it's clear that McCray wasn't the answer. It's clear. And then you look at, excuse me, you look at what Coach Dooley had to say about the quarterback play last year. He knows it wasn't up to par. People don't want to hear that, especially when you're in a SWAC championship game and you're getting absolutely dog walked. And then you put in Glendon McDaniel and it feels like the quality of the game, the quality of your offense makes an immediate spike immediately. Jackson State fans don't like when I say that. I don't know why. You won the game. You won the game. I should be allowed to say the offense got better for Southern without you feeling like, oh, that's just X, Y, and Z. No need to explain it, big dog. You won. You won the game. Leave it alone. Anywho, Glennon McDaniel going in and performing well in the SWAC championship game, that didn't help anybody who said, Dooley, this was your starting quarterback from day one. This is who should have been in there for the majority of the season. So now the question comes back around now that you have a new season. You have a quarterback battle. Bashan McCray is not there. Bubba McDaniel is not there. The only statement, or excuse me, the only question is can you trust him? Can you trust Eric Dooley to make the right decision at the quarterback position? Maybe. But would he do it if it's a freshman? Would he put a freshman quarterback in there? Because I can't look to the future. Because I can't open up my crystal ball and just tell you yes or no, that would probably make this boring too. I'm going to look to the past to see what his trends are. Now, there's reasons to not want to start a freshman quarterback, especially a freshman who was not in spring practice. Remember, we asked a question, or when we asked a question, we gave the caveat, these guys weren't in spring practice, which means they're going to have the summer and fall to learn the playbook. Less time than all the quarterbacks who were already there. And people are just weary about putting in the freshman quarterback. But what if he gets the playbook? What if he understands it? And what if he just looks like the best guy during the fall? 
Would Coach Dooley put that guy in? Got to look to the past. He's been three places in the SWAC. He's been PV, Grambling, and UAPB. In Prairie View, in Prairie View, because it obviously didn't happen in Southern. In Prairie View, he played Trazon Conley some good amount of snaps, but he was a redshirt freshman. He wasn't a true freshman. Remember, a true freshman is a player who came right out of high school and is immediately playing, which means it's his first year removed. No redshirt season, no protecting his eligibility. This is a player who just a year ago was eating lunch in his high school cafeteria. So we're talking about true freshmen only when it comes to this. A redshirt freshman has a whole year in the system. Any of those hesitations that you might get from the learning the playbook, it's not really there with a redshirt freshman. So let's talk about true freshmen. And that's the two guys that we're talking about is Zay Tisit and then also Jalen Woods. Tisit is out of Baton Rouge and then you have Woods who's out of College Park, Georgia, right? So at PV, Trazon Conley got some, a good amount of snaps, good amount of attempts as a redshirt freshman. That's the closest that Dooley got when he was rocking that purple. It's the closest he got there. Then you look at Grambling, highly successful offense. I mean, a three-year stretch where you had the Swag Player of the Year, that's amazing. And it's different guys, phenomenal. That's why I trust his offensive acumen so much. But those guys weren't freshmen. Then you go to UAPB. Now that's where you get a freshman. Benjamin Anderson, he was the Swag Freshman of the Year too. It's the only time that we've seen Coach Dooley in the Swag start a freshman quarterback. So it doesn't happen often, but it has happened. It's somebody who has proven that it is a possibility. Even if it's not freaking, you walk, frequent, you walk in, especially in Grambling, it wasn't going to be the guy. You have, there's so many things that go into this question. Do we have rollover starters? Um, what, what freshmen were in there? Did the freshman actually look good? You know, did he make the wrong decision? There's so many things that I would have to go from 2021 down to really answer those questions and be inside the locker room. So there's too much to see if he made the right decision or trusted or if he just doesn't, if he has some predisposition against freshmen. I don't know. But I do know that the one time that Coach Eric Dooley actually started a freshman quarterback in the SWAC, that quarterback won SWAC freshman of the year. So it might not happen often, but when he does it, it seems to have a pretty high success rate. It's 100%. Like that. So Tisit, Woods, Baton Rouge, College Park, true freshmen coming in out of high school. They seem to be very high. People seem to like them. Could they be the next starting quarterback for, for Southern? That's going to be dependent on them learning the playbook. But I know that Dooley will at least do it. Hands up in the air. But on tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking to Coach Huggins, and actually he's going to be here for Thursday and Friday, breaking down his top five, or excuse me, the rest of his top ten, five of those in his draft fits, and then also talk about his top 20 player list, and let's see how much has really changed from the first time that he sent it to me. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. That's what you can look forward to for the rest of the week. For your second listen, go ahead and check out the Locked On College Basketball podcast. Wrapping up March Madness had great games on Monday. So just make sure you're checking them out. Still press that button wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.